Today we're shooting the breeze with serial entrepreneur Jeremy DeYoung about what it takes to become a senior developer. Let's get rolling. Software runs our world. It's at the center of everything. And you, a passionate software developer, are at the epicenter. The world needs you to be the best you can be. Welcome to the Driven Developer Podcast. I'm your host, Byron Somerdahl. I'm driven to develop and code because coding saved my life. In a few short months, I went from floundering junior to sought after senior and on to architect and eventually CTO. All the things I've learned through the years, I wanna give back to you. Join me and a new guest every week as we share the tools and skills you need to become a driven developer and make a more meaningful impact on our world. Hey everybody, we're here with Jeremy DeYoung from Murfreesboro, Tennessee, and I'd like to ask Jeremy to introduce himself. Hey Byron, well, um, I've pretty much um, been working in the development field on some level or, or form for the past probably 23, 24 years. Started off in high school, um, building out uh, you know little makeshift websites for my school, and then it turned into the school yearbook system, and then grew into a a fun little project uh, way back in 1999 that uh, I'll tell you about later. But uh, it was the right before Y2K, and um, I was a little developer, didn't know what he was doing, and building in Cold Fusion and, and exploded um, in popularity, and then kind of crashed and burned because Y2K didn't happen. But uh, <laughs> wait, it didn't part, happen? No, it didn't. Um, <laughs> but for the better part of the last um, 20 years or so, I have. Um, been building software applications uh, on the web for small businesses, um, mainly in the e-commerce space, helping people with shipping logist logistics. So nice. that's pretty much me in a nutshell. Awesome. Awesome. Um, so I got to know you based on um, like just like when I first met you, I was I was surprised by how many uh, how many startups that you had been a part of, uh, like currently and in the past, and uh, definitely caught my attention. One of the reasons why I wanted to ask you to come on the the uh, the show today, um, but it also sounds like you've you've gotten to have your hand in a lot of different stacks. So you mentioned Cold Fusion. Um, you know, uh, pardon me, but I threw up a little bit in my mouth when you mentioned Cold Fusion. Uh, sorry for all those Cold Fusion developers out there, but um, you know, it's just. I had a really, really bad experience with Cold Fusion uh, many, many years ago. I got one of the hardest rejections I ever got uh, for a job. A job opening was was over Cold Fusion. Nice. Uh, so, did, yeah. did, did they not hire you because of it or lack of experience? I'm just curious. Well, they knew that they it was a it was a Cold Fusion shop. They were building a um, a, a set of applications for a pretty high profile radio personality. Uh, that's that's constantly better than he deserves, and um, <laughs> and um, and so yeah, I went in there to to interview, and they knew I didn't have any experience with Cold Fusion, but still, all the questions were about Cold Fusion, and sure. and and then they let me down by saying that um, you know by by this time in my in my uh, in my experience, I should I should have more experience, I should have better experience. Um, and so that was one of the, one of the worst letdowns I ever had. It was all, so I've got this, this, this thing in my brain about cold fusion. So I have this, this automatic bad feeling about cold fusion. What about you? 
Well, so um, I have a love-hate relationship with it. Mm. And um, right now, I mean, I don't touch it. I don't deal with any form of cold fusion. Um, but I do respect a lot of people out there that, that uh, are still, you know, uh, slinging code in that world. Um, a lot of people don't realize that somewhere between 60 and 80% of all banks and about two-thirds of all government websites are built upon cold fusion. Oh, my uh, goodness. It's, it's massive. So never, never uh, that. It's, it's a legacy platform. It's a legacy technology. But with legacy, you get stability. You get security. You get assurances. Uh, you're not having to sell the, the people that you're working with on it, you know, whether it's going to get hacked or not tomorrow. So from that point of view, that's the reason I got into it. It's the reason I stayed in it um, for quite some time. Uh, obviously, in the last, uh, I would say, nine years, I have begun um, moving away from that into uh, the world of JavaScript um, and kind of jumped that roller coaster as it was getting crazy. And, and then about three years ago, it became Wild Wild West. And, you know, everybody in the world had a had a framework, had a technology, had a stack. And um, I pretty much tried everything that was out there. Um, the one thing I loved about uh, at least the cold fusion world that I came from um, is that it was there were a couple frameworks and they were well known. Um, and the one that I jumped on was called Coldbox. Um, and so I sought after in the JavaScript world a framework that mimicked that behavior. Um, you know, a model uh, view control uh, or MVC, and then I think it's actually MVVC now. Um, and uh, love that concept. Um, it gave me a lot of structure because, uh, you know, you'll never hear me say that I am a great developer. Um, I've been given the title of senior developer and then later on got the, you know, the lead developer and then you know, got CTO and CEO roles and all that jazz. Um, but the one thing that I will say about myself is I'm a guy who knows how to code. Um, and I can get the job done. I will never say I'm a developer. So for all of those out there that are listening, you know, please take what I say with a grain of salt because I have a lot of experience in a lot mm -hmm. of a lot of different areas. But I'm not. Uh, I wouldn't quantify myself as a stellar developer. But I know how to find the talent and I attract the talent towards me because there's a lot of guys out there that they're just amazing at what they do. Um, but you know, you mentioned a minute ago about all the different um, projects I've been involved in. Uh, starting, I guess, in high school uh, to date, I have been a part of 46 startups. Um, half of them I've created myself and some level and partner with other people. Other half uh, I was approached, brought in, recruited, and, um, uh, you know, and, and I just love that world. I, I would I think I redefine what it means to be a serial entrepreneur um, <laughs> because I'm constantly keeping my hands literally dirty as possible in every environment and every technology out there. Uh, I do have a favorite few stacks that I love. Uh, oh, yeah, tell us about that. It's become um, a, uh, you know, I have a lot of respect for the Amazon, you know, AWS world. I just don't think that's for me. It doesn't suit my personality well. So I tend to stick with more of the Google, um, you know, GKE right. world. Um, I love Kubernetes in every form. Um, mm -hmm. And so my my preferred stack is uh, Google, GitLab, uh, CI/CD. Um, nice. I prefer JavaScript uh, front end and back end. Uh, so my favorite framework on the back end is Happy. 
uh, if you guys are not familiar with that, HAPI uh, is the, I think it's .dev is the website. Yep. Fantastic. It used to, it used to be run by Walmart. It did. Um, and now uh, two of the world's largest websites run it, Alibaba and Walmart. Um, and it's massively uh, efficient, performant. Um, people out there love Express. I just couldn't handle the middleware. And I love the plugin and capabilities of Happy. So I, that's kind of my my go-to for everything. Uh, as far as um, front end, I'm a huge Vue fan. Um, been on the, the Vue bandwagon since .32, uh, way back when no one really even heard of Vue. And it was kind of a barely a thing when Evan, you and his team or himself kind of launched it. And it was dirty and ugly and had a lot of stupid stuff in it. But you know what? It worked. It was hmm. it was it was performant. And then I watched it evolve over the last, you know, four or five years. And um, I still think it's one of the better ones out there. Uh, React is great, but I don't like the influence that Facebook has uh, into that community. And I kind of, I like the true nature of what Vue brings, which is an open source. Everybody has a a chance to have a say and um, it's, it's quite evolving, which is pretty cool. Um, So I I do love that. Now I will tell you this, um, up until about a year ago, I was in the last probably six months, uh, the number of job offers I I get or I see uh, is about one React, uh, I'm sorry, two React to one view, uh, but it's very quickly shifting to a Uh one-to-one. If you had asked me two years ago, it was five React to one Uh um, view, and then you might have one Angular kind of floating around. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So the, the the shift over the last two years has been incredible, and I see it go more and more uh, towards the view side. Um, so for those out there that are not um, at least experienced in both React and Vue, I highly recommend learning it because it's got some great potential on both sides. Um, so don't get yourself stuck in a world where you only know one framework. Exactly. You have to at least know several. Um, so that, that's that's my my one big advice for all the juniors out there that are trying to become senior is just the, the experience across the board is key. Um, I, I, uh, I would love, so in my coding school, I, we, we do react. I would absolutely love to lead my students into, into view, like instead of react, like, and I've got nothing against react. It's like, you're saying it's great. It's a great, uh, great framework or great library or whatever they call it. It's a great thing. And, uh, and, and, and I actually don't even mind the, the Facebook influence. Uh, I'm a Facebook user. I, I, I'm, I'm okay with that, but for, there are so many little things that I like so much better about view that, that react doesn't do for me. Uh, for one thing, I can't stand react hooks. Sorry. If, if we've got people out there that are like, uh, that are willing to die on the sword of, of, uh, of, or die on the hill of, of or react hooks. But, uh, but, but I just, I, I don't get it. And, and it doesn't, it's not that I'm not functional thinking enough. I I'm, I'm, I'm a, a functional developer, but I just don't like that implementation of, of hooks. And so view on the other hand, it just works for me. Everything just, I, I love it. If yeah. the market share could flip, I would totally move my coding school over to view. Yeah, absolutely. And my encouragement is, Keep your eye out open because it is, it's radically happening. Um, and it, to the degree that I would project uh, within the next year, 
that there'll be more uh, view-based jobs, view-based projects than there are uh, React. Um, and so uh, it, it's definitely shifting that way. I mean, considering that, you know, three years ago, it was 90% React. And, that, you know, in that short period of time, mm -hmm. it shifted. Um, so and that's the one fun, th fun thing about, um, you know, the JavaScript world is it is still a little bit wild, wild west. I mean, you every day there's different technologies, different, you know, evolutions of things. You know, I, a couple of years ago, I came across Meteor and I, I fell in love with it. I still think it's a great framework. Um, but for 95% of the projects that I do, it's overkill. Um, and, and so you just, you kind of have to find the, the framework or that's tech stack that meets the project rather than shoving the tech stack down the project. And that's where I see a lot of developers make mistakes is they do something because they know it and they don't ever want to research what else is out there. And I watch the projects crash and burn. Hmm. Um, and, and it's kind of funny. I've been involved with a, a company right now called Porter. The website's heyporter.app. Um, and I'm the CTO of this company. Uh, when I came on board, the the tech the technology was a Python based uh, back in uh, front end was a SPA uh, view app. Nothing wrong with Python. Python has its place. It's a great language. You know, I love writing small uh, apps that can do you know brute force computation because I believe that's what's really good for. And then of course all things Raspberry Pi. I love you doing Python. Mm -hmm. But I, I watched uh, a team of developers build out this, this API framework for Porter. And over the course of four months, uh, everything they did became a roadblock to the next feature request that we needed. Hmm. Um, and it, it, these, these, are, these are all senior level people. So, I mean, it was, it was four senior level developers who had five to 10 years of experience behind, behind them in one language. And yet it wasn't that it was being led wrong or designed wrong. It's just the evolution of what the company needed changed so fast that Python couldn't react in a way that uh, it was scalable for our needs. And so when I came on board, the first thing I did was ripped out Python, replaced it with Node on the happy, and we're able to pivot you know, with microservice approach uh, on, on sometimes a weekly basis. We'll, mm -hmm. we'll roll out an app don't like it, build a new one and pop another one in its place. And, you know, a, a week later it's live and in production. Um, so that's one of the beauties I like about the lightweight micro approach of the node system and its ecosystem is because of, because it's so flexible uh, for rapid prototyping. I wouldn't say uh, it is controlled, meaning you can make a lot of mistakes, especially oh, yeah. at scale. Um, with with a, a node platform, but if you do it right and you keep it small and contained, you pretty much can build a uh, an infrastructure to handle any situation of growth. Um, and and that's where Python's really awesome is because it, it is a structured um, you know uh, environment. You throw Dango on top of it, and it's even more structured and, and influenced by how you design things, which is great. Um, but sometimes when you're doing rapid prototyping, you need to have the flexibility. Um, and so, you know, with all these projects I've been involved with for the, the last 20 years, the, the one thing I've learned more than anything is choose the framework that suits the project over your known experience in that language or framework. Because uh, choosing the wrong framework can kill a project faster than anything else. Mm. Uh, and, yeah. You know, I'll be 46 projects under my belt, um, half of them. Uh, blew up in great um, 
secession and other the other half was fairly you know profitable and successful and I you know I sold them off or I uh, you know I, I I spun them out until they exhausted the market or whatever it was um, but I, I I can tell you that you know in in the two different scopes of of what causes a company to fail or succeed the right language in the tech stack or the technology world and uh, controlling your expenses. Those are the two pieces that cause a project to succeed it or fail. And, and so learning what's out there is hugely important from my perspective, at least. Awesome. So um, for all of the Python developers out there that want to respond to Jeremy uh, saying that, that Python wasn't quite as scalable as JavaScript, his email address is jeremy at happydev.com. Hi, Jeremy. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> uh, no, he's kidding. And if you guys want to email me, I, I love you know interacting with people out there. My email address is Jeremy at nextstep.guru. So uh, you know, feel free to to share your thoughts. Tell me I'm wrong. It's great. I love <laughs> I love having conversations with people. Um, you know, it, the the thing is is with with all frameworks, they all have their positive and negative uh, aspects, and all languages have their positive and neg- negative aspects. Yeah. Um, but I shoot for things that are um, cost efficient, uh, rapid, you know, evolution, rapid prototyping, those things that I really care about, especially in a young startup company. Uh, and you look like, for example, take um, Twitter, for example, when Twitter first launched, it was a Ruby on Rails project. Now, mm-hmm. Ruby on Rails is a great technology, great stack, great platform, great everything, but it doesn't scale well in the tens of millions of users. So they began very quickly to replace components. Some of it went to Java. Some of it went to Go. Some of it went to, um, uh, I think it was .NET. And even some of it went to Python, depending on the different pieces within their world. Yeah. Because uh, each language becomes specialized in it. They're really good at doing one or two things. Uh, and pulling those out became, you know, it's how you scale a company. And so you've you got to expect that whatever you do today, as your company grows, um, you know, couple of years from now, you'll probably have replaced it anyways, uh, which kind of leads me to that something else I'll share with everybody. One of my rules of thumb with any development project I get involved with, I expect to replace every line of code every 18 months. And I design my uh, development uh, strategy and, and uh, the workflow to, to, to encourage that because I don't want legacy code. I don't want legacy problems. I don't want technical debt to stack up where it never gets fixed. And that's another thing I've seen in a lot of projects, especially with a lot of young developers. Tech, tech debt will just begin to compound. And if, if you're a, a guy who is, is a junior dev, so you get one to two, maybe three years of experience, and you get thrown into a role where you're now leading a team because you're the most senior person mm. at that company. And I've seen that happen a lot. Yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll tell you a story in a few minutes about one particular situation. But you get thrown into this role where you're so busy trying to meet your expectations and, and the demands from your the people above you that you never actually go back and correct the things that were done wrong, that were done incorrectly or done fast to just get it out there. And it stacks up. And I've seen entire projects tumble over because of poor choices that were made along the way. Yeah, um, they turn into that, a that, big ball of mud like Uncle Bob says. Yeah. And all those exactly. to-dos that people leave like – slash slash to do they all end up being they become lies like yes. we all know let's just be honest we're not going to go You're back and fix that back. yep yep <laughs> and in fact to um 
criticize my own, my own horrible habits. And one of the reasons why I focus on this 18 month uh, rule of replacing all my code, I actually came across a project that I, I launched three and a half years ago. I was making some changes just last night into the code base. And I literally saw the git commit on, on VS code that you made this change three years ago. And it was literally myself putting my own comment in you, you will fix this next week. And that was three <laughs> years ago. Yeah. And I never did. And, it, yeah. and I felt horrible. And now I did fully refactor that entire module and got it so that it's not a problem anymore. But, you know, it, I, you know, even for myself with my rule and, and the way I, I approach development, I still can't keep a zero tech debt. And, um, and it just grows over time. And it's amazing how quickly you just forget about things and move on. You should, you should do, uh, do some writing about that, uh, that rule of the 18 months uh, and, and put it out there. Like, uh, see, see if you can get some other, uh, other people out in the community to, to follow along. I got a lot of things I'm writing right now. Um, <laughs> in addition to all the crazy projects that I'm involved in and different companies and, and stuff of that nature, uh, I'm also writing two books um, and I have uh, four other books that I've, I've kind of outlined what I want to write. Um, so unfortunately, my brain is just so taxed, just trying to keep up. Uh, on top of that, you know, as you know, I have uh, four kids, a wife and actively, actively involved in the community. So, you know, my life is is basically either one fire to the next or one chaotic moment to the next chaotic moment. Come on, Jeremy, you can squeeze in one more blog article. One more, just one. That's all. Someday. Yeah, I add it to my someday list. We'll take, a, we'll we'll take a rain check. We'll take a rain there check. There you go. Me Absolutely. and the rest of the community, we will, we'll be waiting with bated breath, whatever that means, yeah. uh, for this blog article about the 18-month rule. Absolutely. I, I, uh, I'm a little bit freaked out by that rule, personally, but, uh, but I, I would love to see it in action. I'd love to see it yeah. working. Well, we do it at Porter, and, and I do it in a couple other of my projects, and it, and it, uh, it does require selling. Like I have to sell the CEO uh, on it. And convince them that this is a, a worthwhile thing to invest in because there, there's a cost, right, yeah. to have to replace every line of code. Um, but the benefit, you know, Porter has one of the, the lowest tech debt uh, environments I've ever been a part of. Um, and right now we're, we're within a, uh, about three weeks away from launching our next round of, of um, infrastructure replacements. Um, and when that goes live, we'll be back to what effectively is zero tech debt. Wow. Um, so, uh, now it, it won't last long. I mean, three months on the road from that, you know, we'll be back into, you know, it needs to happen. We need to start cleaning up things, but mm. it, it is nice to know that it's at, on some interval, on some level, we achieve that. Um, but this also, you know, it applies to things like, you know, I, I don't just rewrite every line of code for the sake of rewriting it. I focus on things like, is Vue still the best technology to use? Is there a better framework? Uh, stuff like, you know, I'm a huge proponent proponent of CSS frameworks. Mm -hmm. And so obviously eight years ago, Bootstrap is everything everybody talked about. You know, it was the thing to do. And then about two and a half to three years ago, um, this really cool South African guy named Jeremy came out with, not me, it's, it's an, I'm not South African. Yeah, but Jeremy clearly. came out with this this framework called Bulma, and Bulma, mm -hmm. in my, my my mind, it was the best. It, it blew away all the stupidity I, I did not like about Bootstrap. 
Uh, and then, and now I'm, you know, three years later looking at Bulma going, it's not right anymore. And yeah. so we're, we're shifting all of the technologies uh, in four of my companies over to Tailwinds um, for a lot of mm -hmm. different reasons. Utility-based uh, CSS framework, it is scalable, flexible, but I view Tailwinds not as, not really as a CSS framework, framework as much as it's a CSS framework builder. And so we're able to, let's say at Porter, we're theming out um, our uh, CSS library so that if a client comes to us and goes, we want a white labeled version of our app to put in our hotels, we just, you know, deploy this, the, the, the uh, utility classes, we add their couple themes and colors into it, and then it compiles in our app and deploys for them as a niched application, completely custom to them. And, but yet I can control the base of the, how uh, Tailwinds works, which is fantastic. So, you know, the 18 month rule, it's not just for rewriting everything, but it is, it's for evaluating everything that could be, or that, that might be going on in your, your environment. That's good. Uh, that's a good thing. I can, I can see the benefit of that for sure. Um, and, and definitely like anytime we're having to, um, like introduce some, something that maybe seems in unorthodox, unorthodox to, um, to the check writers, like pair programming, for instance, pair programming is, is something I've, I've been doing that and I've been, I've been, uh, almost preaching, uh, pair programming for years and years and years. And I, I really believe in it. But almost everywhere I go, I have to kind Can of you like define what you mean by peer probing programming pair pair programming. So, yeah, like like two developers, one keyboard or two developers, one one code base. I'm working. Okay. We're working together. Shared screen. If it's a remote pair programming session, things like that. That's that's pair programming. It comes out of the the extreme programming movement. Kent Beck made it really popular and. Um, and then, and then agile crazies like me came along and really adopted it. But everywhere I go, I have to explain it again and again and again, and I have to defend it. And yeah. so, um, that, that's one of those things, the 18 month rule, if, especially if you can get it published, then, then we can, we can start, uh, we, we can start handing that, that, uh, article to the, the bosses and say, here, read Jeremy. But like, TDD is another one of those things. So, yeah. so test-driven development, where where you've got to, um, you're 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 kind of having a team mandate. We're going to write tests first, and then we're going to write the 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 implementation code second. And there is a cost, just like with the yeah. eighteen month rule. There's a cost. Pair programming, same thing. There's a cost, but theoretically, at some point, there's a payoff. And as long as we can make sure that the payoff is better than or as good as the uh, the the orthodox uh way of doing it then then it it will work out but it's always that th there's there's this process of selling it that we've got to be really good at yeah absolutely um you know as a as a business owner the i take these pieces into you know into account you know the cost of doing it sometimes is way less than the cost of not doing it. Uh, and I have personally been a part of a project. This was uh, three years ago. I was brought in to help uh, correct a, a development um, software application for a dental, dental um, dentist offices. And uh, they made choices to do uh, certain things in their application 
that I kept warning them, if you keep doing this, we won't be able to fix it. it, it, it you'll have to abandon the entire project and start over from scratch. Um, and I got so frustrated with, with the, the company because I knew they were about to, to waste almost $1.2 million mm-hmm. in development cost. And so I walked away from the project. And then I heard a, uh, a few months later that they fired uh, the CTO, they fired uh, the CEO, and they brought in new management, and they started over from scratch. All right. I'm going, this company dropped a million two for no reason, and they, they had the opportunity to correct that. Yeah. And so, you know, choosing not to do something like, let's say, the 18-month rule or the TDD approach, um, or and, and, and it's you know, not just that. It's CICD pipelines that automate testing. And all that. Right. There's so many pieces of these. This, you know, yes, it takes 20% more to set it up today, mm-hmm. um, but I have always found it to be way less um, costly when you factor in growth or you factor in time. Um, and time meaning like, you know, two years from now, you make a change and you don't even know that you broke something to the, over here to the side and all of a sudden it goes into production and then you have a catastrophic problem where, you know, you, you can't undo it. The data is damaged or, and then you have to write scripts to repair things. It's just not worth it. And so I would rather do it right a little bit slower than to, to not attempt to do these things. And yes, it gets out there faster, but at the end of the day, you know, uh, what do you really have? A project that's probably going to fall apart. Yeah. Um, now, I say all that to say, there's one caveat to this whole thing. All spec projects. So if you're a, a, a solopreneur, a guy that's trying to develop, or, or gal, trying to develop a, a piece of software, uh, and you don't even know if it's even market viable, skip all the, the, the BS. Go yeah. straight, just get it out there, find out if there's an actual market for it. Right. And, and see if people like it and then right. invest into the idea right. to correct these behaviors. Yeah. Cause you know, the worst thing you could do is be bootstrapping it and investing in TDD and investing in CIDCD pipelines and yeah. investing in 18 month rule. And at the end of the day, your project may not even take off, yeah. um, which is crazy. And so fun little stat. I'm a stat guy. Right. So I, I study what's going on in different markets and different environments. Um, uh, let's see, for the last 20 years, uh, the U.S. Department uh, Census Bureau releases small business statistics. Uh, in a, every business, uh, within, a, within the first five years, one out of 10 will make it past the fifth year. Uh, out of that, uh, nine, let's see, one out of 15 will make it past 10 years, and less than 1% will make it past 25 years. Uh, and this has been a stat that's been going on for decades. Yeah. Um, and it's not technology-based. This is every industry. And so you look at that, you know, sometimes, you know, it's better to get something out there to test if it's even viable yeah. than it is yeah. to spend everything you can to, ins- to uh, ensure you have the best, coolest code base. Because I've seen people get stuck in this pattern, especially junior developers, where they... They they iterate and iterate and iterate before they even know that there's a market for it, um, mm-hmm. or they'll build feature after feature after feature, um, and no one ever uses it. And and what I can tell you yeah. from my own experience, it's like I look at Porter, you know, we we have uh, you know a few million users on our platform, we have hundreds of restaurants, dozens of hotels in 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 Oregon. We're we're growing in the hotel market right now. 
And uh, I can't, I can tell you that in the last month alone, we have created and destroyed six separate features that we built thinking that this is the best thing since sliced bread. And, you know, th this is myself and my team thinking that this is a brilliant idea. We push yeah. it out there and no one even wanted it. Mm -hmm. and, and and that's what that's doing market research before we even start the idea. Um, yeah. So I, I strongly encourage the fat, fashion get a, a an idea from nothing to something to test to see if it's, if it's viability, the better off you are. Uh, yeah. and, I, and I can't go I can't even begin to say that enough towards junior developers because they struggle with that the most where they get caught in this iterative development to, to make it perfect because they're trying to impress their boss or their their you know peer that's trying to evaluate their code when the reality is you know it's better to to get it into the hands of the user faster than it is yeah. to impress somebody above you it's time for you to take control hey byron here coming at you from a different place and time to put a pause to this podcast and call attention to something really important you've probably thought at times that it's really hard to get traction in your own learning and growth as a software developer you should join the dev amplifier the mastery growth system for software developers in the dev amplifier you'll receive weekly coaching and quests and assessments and check-ins all designed to help you grow from whatever level you're at as a software developer to the next level and amplify your career. It's only $83 a month. So stop everything else that you're doing right now. Pause this podcast and head over to my website to sign up for the Dev Amplifier right now. It'll be the best decision you make all day. Now let's get back to the Driven Developer Podcast. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I'll give, um, I'll throw out some, some ideas just to kind of help, um, our, our juniors out there that, that maybe have one of these great ideas and they want to get something out really fast, but they want it to kind of be at least somewhat functional, uh, just some ideas. So I don't know that this will, this, this, these ideas may kind of take care of maybe, I don't know, 25, I don't know. I, I'm going to come up with a statistic out of nowhere, like 75% of the, all the different ideas that people can come up with. So think about all the different tools that you have access to. You probably have access to Google docs, Google forms. If you've never made a Google form and, and, and if you've got a Gmail account, it's free for you to use. So there's your intake form. There's your onboarding form. There's your, there's your re user registration right there. You can, you can simulate that with, with that. You can hook it up with a tool like Zapier or Trey.io. I wouldn't use Trey because they're so expensive, but maybe some people will. Zapier. Zapier has like a, a, a free account that's not worth anything, but you can spend 20, like 20, 29 bucks a month and get, get a, 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 good, a good amount of, of processes to, that you can run in Zapier. Once you've got Zapier, you can connect the Google form to... Uh, to a, a Trello card, to a Slack channel, to a, and you can do all of this wiring without writing a single line of code just to prove out the idea. Uh, I'm an idea factory. I can't even turn it off. Jeremy, yeah. I know you are too. It's just like yeah. constantly. It, yeah, it is painful. It's painful because every time, every time I see somebody having a hard time with something, I'm like, well, I mean, my, my, my brain starts going like this and I, and I'll use this voice because 
you know, I don't know why, but well, if you just do it this, 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 this way, then it will, or if we could just make an app that will do it this way for you, then you won't have that pain anymore. And so I'm, I'm just constantly dinging off of every possible pain point that everybody has. And I want to, I want to implement everything. Yeah. Yeah. And, and like you said, it's painful. It's too easy to do as a developer to, and it's painful not to do it. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, it's the, the more senior you get, um, and I guess this, this kind of goes back to a, a thought, you know, what to me dis- differentiates a junior developer, an entry-level developer, and a senior developer. Um, and, and the first thing that comes to mind is their ability to understand and resolve pain in another person. Um, and so you know, I look at pain as humans are driven by the avoidance of pain. You know, they, we choose to do Uber Eats at a premium or Instacart or Grubhub yep. just because the pain of driving across the street to, to buy that stupid <laughs> burger and, uh-huh. and, and have to wait five to 10 minutes and then come back to my desk to get to eat. That's too much pain. So somebody built something to solve that pain. Yeah. Um, and the more senior you get, the more pain you see in this world. And I'll add to that, that the more senior you get, the more picky you get too about the yeah. things that you actually decide to dive into because you've had enough experiences where you started thinking that idea was the best thing ever and you told a couple people about it and they're just like, why would anybody want that? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and unfortunately I, I had early, early days. Um, so this is 20 years ago or 15 years ago. My attitude was this, well, you're wrong. You know, you you don't even know. Yeah, so you don't know. Build- That's the thing. Yep. So I, you know, I, 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 here's here's one that I love. Um, so this this is one of my projects from 2000, uh, I think 2002. Um, and so you know, way back then, uh, the the idea of having uh, wireless printing or or you know, cell phone based printing or tablet based printing. Um, you know, it, it was difficult. I mean, there were, there were options. If you were in a networked environment, you could do shared printing. Um, but w- what I wanted was a way to print um, through the internet to my home printer. So I took a an old computer and I built a little, you know, Linux-based app that connected to cups, such as a printer driver mechanism in Ubuntu. Uh, and uh, I, I built this this printer technology that used that I don't think it used web sockets. It used a form of sockets that um, allowed me to print from a web page. So I could I could hit print and it would go through this little socket and then it would go to my local computer and print out. And I thought everybody wanted this, so I built this little website. I started selling this little this little downloadable thing because you can throw it on any Linux computer and turn your home into a print server. No one wanted it. I literally had no sales. It was the worst project I've ever been a part of where I I spent, I don't know, probably 600 hours tweaking and tuning and improving this and found out that no one wanted it. Ironically, Google Chrome and Google um, Cloud did the same thing several years ago. And everybody wanted it. Well, kind of. Did you notice that they took it away? It's all gone now. Seriously? Seriously, because but it still it works. Was, Something still uh, works. So, like, I have you know, I have this this brother laser printer that has the the Google Cloud printing. 
it's been disabled now. I can't, it doesn't connect to my computer. They, uh, they, that exact service is, 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 has been taken away. Yeah. So like these, these devices that, that like brother and Canon invested in native printing technologies for a while there, every printer had it, but now there's so many open source protocols that it just became, we're just going to broadcast on bonjour. And if your computer is in the network, you see the printers and you print. Why, why use some weird IP routing that does some network thing and runs through servers to get to your house? It's just too much overhead. That was their, that was Google's response, but they did build it. And I was so mad because I was like, you ripped off my idea. I was five years before you launched it. I'm telling you, um, man, Facebook, Google, Apple, all the thing, they are all after us. They all have <laughs> listening devices in our houses. They're listening to our amazing ideas and stealing them. I'm convinced. Uh-huh. <laughs> no, okay, Jeremy, can I tell you something? Um, sure. Creepy. Around 2002, around 2002 or three, I needed to be able to print from wherever I was to a printer in my house. Yeah. And so I set up a, a Linux server in my house and I, um, I used cups and set up a web, a web server on that computer and it was able to receive files, convert them to the, the cups signal and it was able to print. That's awesome. That's what my did. It just, used, I, it used I, I'm telling you, it's creepy. It, yeah. It's really creepy. Yeah. Why, and, and why it, weren't we working together? Yeah. So the, the, you guys don't know, obviously, Byron and I recently met, uh, what, about four months ago? Yeah. But we have been traveling in the exact same circles of Middle Tennessee for the yeah. better part of a decade. Um, and, and I've actually had a couple of friends like, you need to go meet this guy, Byron. I'm like, eh, someday I'll get to it. Someday I'll reach out to him. <laughs> um, but, uh, you know, it, it just it, it wasn't the right time. You know, and now we connected and we have so many similarities and we have experience because a lot of the things that I learned back then have changed how I do things today. So I needed to go through those experiences. Yep. 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 Maybe, uh, maybe if we had connected earlier, then, then, uh, we would have somehow robbed each other of, of the experience of finding things on our own. Yeah. Yeah. Or and maybe sense. I wasn't mature enough at that time to handle, you know, different meeting, different people. And I can tell you that who I am today I have radically evolved, both in the development world, the management world, the hiring world, um, the the running companies world, uh, even the personal side of things, compared to where I was a decade or two decades ago. Yeah. Um, so, and, and I just need to mature as a, as a person, and and that's that's the evolution of you know a junior to a mid level developer to a a senior to a to an enterprise architect all the way up to a CTO. You just you get more experience begins to change who you are and give you world wisdom that you wouldn't get any other way. Like I walk into, uh, actually, here's a, here's a great example. Um, I had a developer call me up the other day. This, this is a guy that had probably four years of uh, JavaScript node experience. He's, he's banging his head on the, on the desk trying to solve this problem. He finally gets so frustrated. He calls me up and says, can you help me? So I, I jumped in, I spent 10 seconds looking at his code and said, here's your problem. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, I didn't, you know, obviously I wasn't in charge of him. I was just trying to help him out. But he, he got pissed. He's like, how, you know, how did you do that? I'm like 20 years of me banging my head on the table. And I, I, I learned how to do this because of that. And so that's what, you know, there is no better teacher than experience. Yeah. So it, it is, it is, um, it's important. And you, you, it's not just experience at, on, on your job. This is learning on your own time. 
don't don't take what your employer or your project leader is teaching you as your only source of truth. Go seek out what's out there. Go read medium articles. Go read blogs. Go buy books. And and I'm you know I, I think Byron will probably attest. I love reading, and I, I flood him with books and, yeah, and about books. I'm obsessive. Uh, in my bedroom alone, I think I have almost a thousand books that I have to read. That just stacks. That's on top of the, the Kindle books I buy, on top of the, uh, the audio books that I listen to and buy. Um, I invest in learning at all levels, not just development learning, but psychology learning and, and any other ways I can because you never know what piece that you're going to pick up that you can apply to your next project, your next development, whatever, or to fight a case where you believe as, let's say, a junior developer, you believe that your way is better than the senior's way. And you now have a, a secondary source that you could use to win your argument. Um, so, and, and that's that's something that I learned early on when I was when I was just getting into development. I was constantly fighting battles, not to say that I had the right way, but they didn't. You know, my the guys that I worked for viewed me as a peon, right? I'm a junior. I have a, a year worth of experience. They're like, how could you have the knowledge to solve this? And they they just disregarded the things I said. And so I encourage you, if you're out there and you feel this way as a junior or even a mid-level developer, or you're just getting started out, go learn other sources of truth Mm -hmm. to apply because sometimes you'll have that one, you know, argument or that one, not argument, but that one need to defend what you're saying. And the only way to do that is to have another source other than it's the best way because I believe it's the best. Totally agree. Totally agree. And, And Jeremy, you know what I heard? What I heard is that you had to sell your mattress because you didn't have room for the books and now you're sleeping on the books. My wife will probably agree with that. <laughs> it, I think under my bed is quite ridiculous. Oh um, my goodness. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, they have shelves for those, by the way. All right. So next. Uh, <laughs> um, so I, I, have a, I have a question. I want to take it back a little bit. So you, oh. you, uh, you mentioned that you got into programming in high school. Um, there was a yearbook involved. Can you kind of give us give us a little bit more of the origin story? Uh, what okay. what even got your attention in the first place? So um, I'm gonna date myself. So I graduated in 2000. Uh, I I just turned 40 from um, high school, right? You graduated from high school in 2000. In 2000, or college, I, I, high school. I didn't got go it. to college. Um, what? No, Jeremy. You you can become successful without going to college. It's no. It's yes. No, uh, I'm pretty okay. opinionated about college, but uh, and <laughs> corporate development. But we'll get to that later. Um, but uh, I was in high school. This the year was 1996. I was a freshman in high school, and uh, I had just been given a computer by my parents um, about a year earlier. Um, well, I say given. I I worked all summer. My parents matched every dollar I had. And in 1996, there was a company out that probably no one even knows anymore called Citrix. And they, I remember that they, company. They made the best processor and motherboard combination out there. And so I went to that to, to downtown Nashville, some some you know convention, and I bought. It's like twelve hundred dollars for me back then. It was that was a massive amount of money. Wait, 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 wait. Sorry, just a second. Was this? A computer show at the Nash Nashville State Fairgrounds. I it may have been. Jeremy, I might have been there. That's hilarious. oh my goodness! This is so creepy. This yeah, happens so often. Like I, I actually, I would also go to 
the, those, those computer shows. And I would, I even eventually, I started my own company called up and running computers. Great name, by the way. And, and I set up a booth at the Nashville state fairgrounds and sold computers and parts. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. I might've sold, I might've sold you your stuff. That might've been me. It could have been. Yeah. That's hilarious. (laughs) Okay. Um, So tell us more about your, your, the the $1,200 computer. Yeah. So I bought this computer and, you know, it was all parts and put it together. And, you know, I had no idea what I was doing. We didn't have, you had AOL keywords. That's all you had back then. You didn't have the internet the way we have it today. Well, there was Gopher Uh, and I mean, yeah, never mind. You're right. There was nothing. (laughs) Yeah. It it was really nothing. (laughs) So uh, I put it together and my dad's like freaking out, like, you know, this is a bunch of parts, you know, this is not a computer. And he's like, you need to buy, uh, what was it called? That cow company, the computer company that is like Dell. Oh, Gateway. No. Yeah. Yeah. Gateway. gateway. Yeah. And so he's like, you need to buy a gateway. Cause that was it. I'm like, no, no, I'm a builder. Cause, cause that's who I am. Yeah. So I, I put it together and built it in and fell in love with computers. Um, you know, and so that was my first computer. It was so slow. I think it was, may have been just barely a 486 Pentium two. I mean, this is old. So a 46, um, maybe SX or DX. I think it was a DX. It sounds about okay. right. Oh, the, yeah. the DX was hot stuff then. That was right yeah. up there close to a Pentium. Yeah. Yeah. Something like that. So anyway, I bought this machine and, and, uh, it, 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 uh, I spent so many hours just playing around and trying to do things on it. And, um, uh, my dad had given me a copy of, um, Microsoft office and the, the professional edition with Microsoft access, right. Yeah. Where, uh-huh. Uh, so I installed that on the computer and uh, I built an access database, um, just kind of putzing around. Um, and my teacher at school said to me, hey, can you like, like take a, some data and put it in your spreadsheet and put it in your database and like build a, a yearbook, a digital yearbook? I was like, sure. And so I, I didn't know wow. anything about web programming. I'm not even sure if there was actual web programming back then, like if it even existed. I, there was HTML. That's all I really know, knew about. There may have been something like Perl, uh, but what even then would this have been 96, um, 96. Yeah. That, yeah. Not a whole lot. It, this is a ways ago. Right. And so, um, I wrote, uh, and, and so in access, you could create a, um, a report, uh, like a visual report that would output to a file. So I wrote in VBA, uh, a, uh, a way to loop and create a series of HTML documents using access reports to store to a file. And I turned that into a website. I mean, it's the most janky thing in the world. Awesome. Right. But it worked. And so I built, it wasn't searchable, but it was, it was clickable. You could click to all the different links. And, and I remember I had a little blue bar. I was so proud of myself because I figured out how to do gradients. Um, and so, I, you know, that little gradient bar and then it's, you know, and it had the little links at the top and you could click on them. And, and it, so it was a full blown website and I uh, did that for a few years. And it was about, uh, let's see, this is 98. Um, and I had what? done Jeremy, career- sorry, hang on one, just, just one second. I think I just put two and two together and realized something. So you, you, you did server side rendering. I mean, effect. I mean, it, it wasn't real time. I, mean, I, I, it wrote to a static file, right? Oh no, yeah. I mean, uh, that server side rendering. Uh, yeah, okay. So yeah, sometimes it's it's real time. But I mean, you're you were doing what what we do with Jekyll, sure. or with 
Yeah, yeah. I mean, you you built a back end that produced a front end, and you could Correct. deploy the front end to a web server or whatever it was yeah. back then. Apache. That's what we used. But that's um, that's uh that that was pretty forward thinking, man. Like it was different. Yeah, it was written in all in access and. Yeah, so this is back. Do you remember like the networking software called Novell? Oh yeah. And so um, we had a Novell um, infrastructure infrastructure in our school, and we had this pipeline that I mean it was ridiculous. I mean it was for the time I had a hundred megabit connection to the internet. I could do anything I want, including host wow. websites. Wow. And it, so I found a way to actually use the school's network to host before they caught on mm -hmm. uh, our own website. And it was great. Everybody loved it. Um, you know, er, since then it, it, you know, it's, it's been replaced by all kinds of crazy automation and stuff. But, for, you know, back in 96, it was, it was amazing. At least for me, I was geek, you know, I was a nerd. And so um, you fast forward a couple of years and I have, have a guy call me uh, that had a business. He hadn't heard about what I had done for the school. And he said, I have, I have this great idea. So this is the Y2K thing right mm, okay and so he says to me i want to launch a website selling grain kits like these food prep kits for like he's a prepper right okay and like zombie apocalypse wanted, prepper yeah and so he's wanting me to um build the site we sold like eight different kinds of of um of these kits in 98 um and uh we use in the back this is my first experience into authorized.net you know, mm -hmm. they, in those early days, like version 1.1 of Authorize, which is yep. hilarious how horribly insecure that was back then. Yeah, really hard um, to use, too. Oh, it was a, awful, awful. But so you kind of, you know, so I built this site. We, you know, we had a PayPal option we, and we had, I know, was it PayPal? It was some something like a PayPal. Um, it may have been called X at the time because um, PayPal used to be called X, I believe. I, I can't remember. It's been so long. But so, um, uh, I launched this site and we started getting a couple orders here and there, right? Uh, and they, they had me change a few things and um, and we get closer to, uh, you know, so we fast forward through uh, 98, 99 comes on. We're getting closer to uh, December. Um, and so we're at, by, by the end of November of 1999, we're selling somewhere around $150,000 worth of these grain kits a day. Wow. Um, a day. Um, and the guy is going, the company is going nuts. I mean, they're buying, you know, hundreds of thousands of tons of grain and, and kits all across the country. It was ridiculous. Um, by the end of, uh, November or mid, mid December, we're upwards to like a half a million a day. Um, wow. and, and so, I mean, but for me being a nerdy little kid going, I built this tech, this website, this system. Now granted, uh -huh. I was a developer. I got paid three grand for the entire project and being, wow. being in high school. I mean, like that's amazing money. Uh, considering that the average person back then was making like three or $4 an hour. Yeah. Um, you know, they're flipping burgers and I wasn't, I had three grand, um, in, in my account and I, I got my first cell phone and that was, it was awesome. Like I was the cool kid. Right? High roller. Oh Yeah. So uh, then you fast forward to the end of December, and you know, as that as we get closer to midnight, m orders are pouring in, and and the server was having trouble keeping up, and then Y two K didn't happen. And, um, and just to be clear, what we mean by Y two K didn't happen, it's it, it was, I mean, it happened. We have sure. 
we had the year 2000, but the world didn't end. That's correct. Uh, and all these preppers and all these people that bought these kits, they're stuck with it now, you know, and, and, um, cause you didn't build then, a refund option. Well, up until I think it, you could refund up until the week before. Um, okay. <laughs> and so uh, what you bought is what you bought. Um, but it was, it was an amazing ride, right? We, it, it went from nothing to this bohemoth amount of cash flowing through this business. Um, and that was my first jaunt or journey into development in a big way. And yeah. I got the taste of what it was like to have an e-commerce store and I was hooked. Um, and so I began to build more and more e-commerce like platforms over the years and, um, and launch them for, you know, everything from dental companies to, uh, eyeglass companies to, um, you know, uh, to soft goods and, 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 and it's evolved into, you know, I have one company that kind of shifted over the last 10 years. Uh, right now, this one company is called Blackfisk and it's, uh, uh, it's basically a, a warehouse management fulfillment software, third-party logistics. It does everything. Um, roughly, I think we figured out it's like almost a million lines of code run this platform. Yeah, um, it's it's massive. But it, you know, I have customers all over the country that interface with it, and you know, it's. I kind of look back in the days of you know the the Y two K and how much cash was flowing through that, and I kind of laughed because, you know, now I'm up to you know, several billion dollars a month is flown through my, my technologies from by my customers. It's, it's pretty crazy. Now I don't get that money, right? I'm just a software provider. Right. I provide a software as a service and, but it is it's kind of still fun, a rush. Yeah. It it's is a rush seeing so, all that, all that cash flowing through. It is fantastic. And to know that me and my partner, um, have built this software in a way that, um, people use it and love it and interact with it. It's pretty and neat. It works. And it works and it works yeah. every day. Uh, even when Amazon doesn't work, it works, which is amazing. <laughs> so, um, so Jeremy, it's, it's time you've been, I know you've been dreading this moment all, uh, all through the recording of this podcast, it's confession time. So step into my confession booth, a uh, little sound effect here to creak the door closed chunk. So you're inside the confession booth. I'm the priest. You're the center. It's time to just like clear your conscience you know, all this, all this stuff that you've been holding in for all these years, it's time to just let it out and really, really cleanse your heart and get okay. right with the, the dev community. So, uh, and, and based on how I think you, uh, dealt with this, I will maybe absolve you of your sins. So tell me what's the worst thing you've done as a software developer. So, um, I've been lucky that I've had some accidental mistakes. Now I'm not gonna. I'll go back in a minute and tell you something bigger than this. But there's been many a times where I have accidentally run like a truncate table on a production database. Okay. Um, it's one thing that I don't ever recommend. Wait a minute. How now, do you accidentally type truncate? Oh, I was intentionally typing it. I just chose the wrong schema in my MySQL. <laughs> okay. Um, and it happened to be a production server, and I was being, you know, lack of better words, a jackass and 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 in a hurry, and and I just did it. But I had a backup, so I mean, we lost a couple hours. That wasn't my big sin. Um, and I don't know if this is even really it's something I did that I would, I'm regretful of, but I, I tell you, at the time, I felt horrible. <laughs> so uh, this is 2003. I had built some software for four different companies. Uh, and I was hosting the, the software as a service. Uh, one company was a, a music production company, and 
and they had thousands of clients across the country. And we managed the software I had written, managed their entire uh, artist flow, you know, recording songs on the desk. I had another company I had dealt with uh, all on the same server. Okay. This is the key, the same server. <laughs> um, I had a, uh, another client I, I dealt with and, and they were doing a speaker bureau, right? They, 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 they managed speakers for different uh, institutions and companies would ask their, their speakers to come in and talk to them. And we, they managed the entire schedule of events and everything you can imagine. So th- these are full, you know, uh, and there, there are two other ones. I can't remember what those did at the moment, but uh, all four of these projects I had built were on one server. It was all written in cold fusion. You know, hear I hear a cringe coming. Anyway, mm. um, it was uh, hosted in a Microsoft SQL database, uh, several of them, um, and I built my own little micro cluster um, of sorts. the The web server was the cluster. the The database was a single server, and um, I had uh, accidentally deployed some code that uh, somehow or another caused the database to freak out. Um, and over, over, um, so th- this is 2003. This is the, the Tuesday before Thanksgiving. Okay. The date's really important. All right. Um, the, uh, the code I had deployed on one of my clients began to write repeatedly to the database over and over and over the same thing. And it effectively killed the, the, um, the block. Right, the, on 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 their on the RAID five, and caused it to fragment so bad that the entire RAID five crashed. Mm-hmm. I didn't have back because I was arrogant. I was like, I got a RAID five. It's it's redundant. There's no way <laughs> it could go wrong, right? And so now we fast forward. That was Tuesday, Wednesday. <clears throat> clients call me, hey Jeremy, this site's not working. Uh, okay, and so I'm young, right? This this is this is many years ago. And so I get up and I run to my office and and I start trying to figure out what's going on and and I realize that the SQL server wasn't responding. So I go take it apart and I'm trying to figure out what's going on. I didn't realize at the time that the the raid had cl- collapsed um, beyond what I knew how to recover. So now you fast forward. Uh, I wasted the entire Wednesday and I'm making excuses left and right to my clients. Don't worry, I got your data. I'll get it back. And I'm nearly in tears at this point because. I'm thinking everything these companies had is gone. Mm. Like I had no backup. I had no previous, co- I, I was arrogant. Right. And um, so I, I remember that um, I, I jump, jump online and I find a company in uh, New Jersey and they are a specialized um, uh, clean room that can recover yeah. uh, collapse platters. Okay. And so this is before SSDs too. So I mean, you're dealing with these stupid little nickel plates and the platters. Yeah. And so um, I call them up. I'm begging them. You know, I know, I know. Thanksgiving's tomorrow. I will do anything to get you to fix this for me. So they, this 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 guy um, starts talking to his partner, and they figure out uh, that uh, they can help me, uh, but it's going to cost, and it's going to oh, cost yeah. a lot. I mean, we're talking. I'm young and I'm dumb. I don't have, you know, eight thousand dollars at this point. You've already spent all that money on lunchables at that point and and Apparently, ramen noodles. It's all gone. And um, so I remember going to my dad. I'm like, Dad, I need to borrow your American Express, and uh, I need to put eight thousand dollars on it. And I have no idea how I'm going to pay you back. 
I have no idea. All I can, and I'm like in tears, I'm shaking, I'm in tears. Cause like, you know, there's almost 200 employees between the four companies. Uh, they're they're not gonna have a job. You know, they, they're gonna go back to pen and paper and they have no record at all of what had taken place for the last three years. And so I finally uh, shipped the things via FedEx overnight. It arrives, um, they start taking a look at the drives. The guy tells me it's, it's not gonna recover it. There's no way. Hmm. I get a call on Thanksgiving morning that he found a way to, get, to, to, to kind of stitch the data back together and he was able to recover every ounce of it. Wow. Uh, oh, and by the way, I had to prepay $8,000 and I had to sign a document that said there's zero guarantee that even one byte of data will be returned to me. Yeah. Scary. Yeah. yeah. So anyway, uh, I do get all the data back. Uh, I had to go out and buy new hard drives from a place called CompUSA. I don't know if you remember mm-hmm. that place. Oh, yeah. Cool. And I rebuilt my little RAID cluster and then I began to back up everything. Um, and I got it all back online. They were down for four days. Luckily, it was over the weekend, I mean, over Thanksgiving and over the weekend. Most expensive mistake I've ever made. Um, one that I did in, un, un, unintentionally. And I mean, I still to this day, like, remember my hand shaking. Like, I, I, I got sick to my stomach because I thought I lost all this data. And ever since then, I have developed a rule of seven. Seven backups. Everything I do is backed up seven times without exception. Uh, and I, I have had, I can tell you this, I have had five of my seven backups go bad in one time because they're all automated, right? So they start replicating to each other and you can't, you had to stop it. So mm. I have cold backups now and I have, you know, live backups and monthly backups of everything I do. I will never make that mistake again. Because it you should have done me- eight backups though. <laughs> one for for each thousand dollars you spent yeah just to just to remember last i mean that dude it <laughs> took me months to pay that money back to my dad it was awful awful probably um, ate up a, a, quite a bit of the the profit that you got from that that development contract it was gone yeah, yeah. it was i yeah um it was bad and i was a i was a poor money manager at that time i didn't learn how to how to manage money well so man that, that's uh i you know Right when I heard that you spent eight thousand dollars, I was thinking, "Yeah, sins absolved, long ago." <laughs> it was yes. a painful lesson, though. Yeah, yeah, that's Ow. man. Well, the the best lessons are are born out of pain and fire. Yes, yes, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, um, so Jeremy, shift your focus a little bit to uh, to other developers. Okay. Um, what what's something you just wish developers would get better at? So it depends on two. So I kind of view developers in two buckets. Okay, you have um, millennials and everybody else. <laughs> why do you, okay. Why do you do that? <laughs> well, I, I'm a little jaded right now. So um, obviously, I'm poor I'm millennials. Involved. They always have a bad rap. Nobody Nobody gives them a fair shake. Well. <laughs> there's a lot of reasons why and they deserve everything that they get because they are very interesting people to work with, but hopefully they're emotionally uh, intelligent enough to know that they have some challenges. Yeah. So, you know, I work with a lot of companies and I'm constantly hiring. In fact, I've hired a couple of your developers uh, from uh, Codex Academy. Yeah. Uh, And and they're working out well, which is awesome. So if you guys, I can't stress enough. Codex is a great um, school to go through. Um, 
and, and I can say this because I can compare it to three other schools in uh, in Tennessee and um, and the developers I get from all other schools they're virtually unhirable. So with that being said, um, the millennials I struggle with them because they expect everything to be handed to them and uh, they don't really want to work hard. Um, and so my, my advice for millennials is this, uh, work, study, and be willing to, to put the extra time in. Um, they, they just don't want to do that, which is sad. I can't say 100%, but the vast majority, which is sad. Now, everybody else that's not a millennial, um, the cool thing is, is they have a great work, work ethic. They love working hard, and I, that, I do appreciate that. But learning and studying on your own, um, not in the, not from what your your people that you work with teach you or show you or force you to, to do, but on your own is the most important thing you can do for yourself. Constantly learning. Go out there and get a Udemy course. Go out there and buy a book. Watch a, a YouTube video. I mean, there's so much out there for free. It's insane. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and just try something new. Uh, experiment. Dabble. Break things. Create things. Um, because I hire based on not what degree you have. I, I don't even hire really on can you do the job, but I hire on your willingness to learn and uh, your willingness to work hard. Um, and I've hired, and I hired a guy just yesterday and um, he, he, he's an entry-level guy. Um, you know, a couple years under his belt, tops. Uh, he he learned some wrong languages, which is fine. But I'm showing him some some different languages to learn, and and he's he's committed to me to to spend lots of time reading in his own and studying and learning because without that, he would be unhirable forever. Um, and and so that's my biggest advice is is you got to to self educate because no one's gonna do it for you. Uh, the other piece of this is be careful of the corporate world um, jobs because they tend to force you down a rabbit trail and they teach you not necessarily wrong things, but they teach you things that don't work in small shops. Um, so the bigger the company, the harder it is to unteach those skills you've been taught to get you in a, in a, in a world where that you can adapt well. And so be aware that the bigger the company, the harder it is to get out of that mindset and shift into a startup company. Um, so anyway, for what it's worth, those are my two or three things. Cool, cool. So uh, I'm gonna we're we're almost out of time. I'm gonna give you one more chance. If you've got another something else about great developers that you think is really important, something that distinguishes great developers, uh, some characteristic. Um, one of the one of the reasons why I love this question is because it it really starts to focus uh, us and our audience on the, uh, the hallmarks of great developers so that we can start seeing those examples and maybe even start emulating those things. So, um, so any, any last words on like just the, the things that you see great developers doing that you think everybody else should try to emulate? See, that's that's such a loaded question. Um, hard to only give one, right? I I know. I mean, what what, what would I pick? Um, a great developer is self-taught. Um, 
That's, mm. I mean, that's, they, they, they have the capacity and the wherewithal and the knowledge, not the knowledge, the capacity and wherewithal and the ability to go answer that question on their own. They may not get the right answer, but they can at least get pretty close. Um, nothing frustrates me more than having a, a developer, any level, hit a roadblock. It happened this morning with one of my guys, and he's a you know highly paid senior. We're talking you know 180 thousand a year uh, salary, and he hit a roadblock. And he comes to me and goes, I, I, I I'm blocked. I can't go any further. And I looked at him and said, Why? The the answer is so easy. Spend five minutes and Google it. Um, and he got stuck, and it, it yeah. really fr- frustrated me. Um, and so, you know, it, it is the ability to find an answer, maybe not the right answer. And I'll, I'll take a wrong answer any day, but at least show me that you put an effort in. Um, that's important. Yeah. And self-taught doesn't always mean that you skipped college like Correct. Jeremy did. I didn't go to college for this stuff either. I did go to college, but it, it, it was for a completely different degree. It might as well have been basket weaving and, <laughs> and nothing to do with computers or, or programming. And, uh, but even if I had gone to college for, and I've got a shiny CS degree, uh, I could still be self-taught. Yes. And, and I think that that's, that's important too, because, you know, some, somebody might hear you got to be self-taught to be great. And, oh, I got a degree. It's too late for me. Ah. But, but that's not really the case. You can be, uh, you, you can be self-taught because you are, I think this is a, a, I'm not sure if this is a word in English, autodidactic. Um, but I, it's, that's my Spanish starting to reach in or, 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 uh, let, not let go of a word, but it basically you learn on your own. You, you yeah. have the capacity, you have the skill of being able to learn and not a lot of people have that. And so I agree with you. This is one of the, the true hallmarks of, of a great developer because they, they are never presented with a problem that they truly cannot solve. I'll bet right. your senior developer on your team, if he hadn't had you to help rescue, yeah. he may have still been able to find the problem. I'm convinced of it too. And, and that's part of the struggle that I have made myself too available hmm. to my own teams and the different uh, companies that I'm starting to pull away to give to kind of like, okay, guys, you're little birdies, go fly, get, get out of the nest. <laughs> um, because I don't want to be that crutch for them. Right. Yeah. And they, they need to, to take ownership of that. Um, so yeah, I'm a huge fan. At least attempt to solve the problem. It doesn't matter if you get it right or wrong, uh, yeah. but tempting is what matters to me. Yeah, and 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 sticking with it till the end. Fight till the end until you find the answer. Now, of course, there is something to be said about using the resources that you have and trying to solve the problem quickly so that you're not spending the company's money on on just chasing Correct. your tail. And, and, so, yeah. and that, that is an interesting balance, right? Because you know, if he had spent a week on this problem and never come to me, I'd be, I would have been very angry. Yeah. He <laughs> literally spent 10 minutes and goes, I give up. Yeah. And Maybe a happy that, balance. Something yeah. in between. And it, it's subjective because the, the more complicated the problem, the longer I would expect you to at least try. Yeah. So um, I know you already mentioned some things for, for uh, our millennial friends out there uh, and, and maybe some other developers. You got, got any last minute advice for, for junior developers, people just starting out like, just got finished with Codex Academy or they just got finished with, with a, a coding school or now they've got a, a degree and they're going out and to get their first job. Uh, got any advice for those, those guys and gals? Um, 
So, I mean, obviously, yes. I mean, I can go down a thousand rabbit trails on that one topic for an hour. Um, what is something that's big? Um, I, I would say a couple of things. Don't be in a rush to take the first job you get just because you want a job. Um, find a, find a, a company that you're willing to, um, that has resources to provide you some type of, of mentorship or coaching within the company. Uh, what I can tell you, um, and, I, and I say this from not necessarily my own experience, but from the experience working with a lot of recruiters, uh, one out of four developers who started a job within 45 days leave. Um, and that's, that's a statistic in, in, in nationwide. And so, you know, don't just take the job because you need the dollar. Uh, find the company that's willing to mentor you in a way that can grow you from a junior into a senior um, or wherever you, your goal is. The other piece of this is don't take the job uh, that promises you to turn you from a entry level or junior developer to a senior within a year or two. Um, because what I can tell you is they're going to throw you in a position where you're going to be overwhelmed and unable to deliver very quickly. So again, it all comes down to finding the, the right balance between coaching and mentorship. Um, and, and then obviously my own fault, uh, like for my own self is, is I do coaching fairly well and mentorship really well, but I also become the crutch where they come to me when they shouldn't come to me. Um, and so, um, that, that's, you know, mentorship, find a, find a company that wants to mentor you in some level. Good. It's good stuff. Yeah. I, I think that, I mean, I can definitely attest to that. I, I didn't pick a company because they, they had mentors. I picked a company because they were going to pay me a lot of money. But, uh, when I started that company, I, I was placed with people that decided to mentor me and decided to pour into me. Um, and you know, I, it, it worked out well for me. Maybe it, in my previous job before that, it didn't work out at all. I was, uh, I was the smartest person in the room and I wasn't, I wasn't even, uh, I didn't, didn't even have that much knowledge or experience. So, um, I definitely agree with that. So super important. And, And if you, if you don't want to get, if you don't want to leave it up to chance, then, then yeah, definitely look for a job that, that actually maybe they even say, Hey, we're going to put you with this developer or even better find somebody that you really admire, find out where they work. Yeah. Like contact them. Hey, could I come on as your apprentice? I mean, who knows? It might work out or just like go and work, go and apply for the same company. You might get to work with that person. Yeah. Uh, What I can tell you, is the vast majority of jobs today are not publicly displayed, listed, yeah. or known. Yeah. Just merely be up by you showing up and asking if they have an option to work there. I have seen so many times, including myself, where I have created a role because the person I, I, I liked working with them. Yeah. And so just because it's not publicly listed or you didn't get a recall from a recruiter doesn't mean that there's not a job there. Yeah, totally agree. Man, Jeremy. Uh, we, we could just keep on talking for hours and hours, right? Something like that for sure. The, the first time we get, we got together, it was a, it was 30 minutes on the calendar and I had yeah. other meetings after that, that I had to go to with employees and, and, and students and different things. 
And we, we just got started to talking over coffee and uh, discovering all these creepy similarities between our, our backgrounds. And um, 30 minutes turned into two hours. We looked at our clocks. Oh, my goodness. What has just happened? And I'm, I'm sending out emails apologizing to people that I missed and rushing to the next meeting. But uh, it's because um, we've just got a lot to talk about, man. Uh, Absolutely. So we need to do this again. We can uh, u- utilize the other six hours worth of things we want to talk about <laughs> on this podcast. Uh, but uh, thank you, man, for, for being a blessing and encouragement to uh, the world's junior developers out there uh, and, and everybody else that's, that's aspiring to be a senior or a senior developer, an architect someday, maybe a CTO someday. Maybe somebody else wants to be a, a serial entrepreneur like, like Jeremy here. And uh, so hopefully you, you're able to take some, some cues, some tips, some, uh, some encouragement from this podcast today. And, and one more time, Jeremy, I just really appreciate your time. Thanks for coming on the podcast and, um, we'll see you next time. Thanks for joining us today on the driven developer podcast. I'm your host, Byron Summerdahl. This podcast is for you. It's all about trying to help you become what the world needs you to be a driven developer. If you enjoyed today's podcast, please share it with others or comment down below. If you'd like to follow me or this podcast, just look us up on facebook.com slash driven developer. And we'll see you next time.